Welcome to the Urshan Pulpit Podcast, a podcast that seeks to elevate the priority and practice of preaching and purposes to provide resources to both inspire and support the apostolic preacher as they faithfully fulfill their calling as a preacher of God's Word. Welcome to the Urshan Pulpit Podcast. My name is Jonathan McClintock. And I'm Jerry Jones. Today we're going to be talking about sermon structure and building the sermon philosophy behind that. And uh, so I want to start first of all and and ask this question, and I'm going to kind of give my thoughts and then let you correct me. (laughs) No, let me, you give (laughs) your thoughts too. I'm just teasing. When I, when we set out to build a sermon, structure a sermon, where do we begin? I know as a a new preacher just developing, that was, that was kind of hard. It was kind of hard just to get started. Um, It seems, it seemed overwhelming how am I going to put this thing together? So I think that's, so starting there at the, va- at, at just the basic beginning, how do we, where do we begin? And of course, I think the most concise basic answers begin with scripture. I think we need to begin there. Um, but I've, I kind of look at two different types of, of sermons, there's several different type, genres of sermon, but the one probably we hear the most in the apostolic uh, movement is topical sermons. Um, and then I, I like preaching textual sermons where you, you take a, uh, take a, uh, a select text out of a, out of a longer passage and then kind of just break that down. So if I'm looking at those two, I'll share, share those, my ideas first, and then I want to get your uh, thoughts on how you, how you approach it. If I'm preaching a topical sermon and I'm pulling a thought or an idea, word, a phrase, something from a scripture text, um, I, I'm going to probably sit down as I, of course, I'm going to read over that text, uh, as I say in my classes to my students, kind of um, kind of bathe in that text, soak in that text, um, kind of understand what's being said there. And probably if I'm preaching topical message from that text. I'm pulling some phrase, some word, something out of there, and I'm going to formulate an argument or formulate a thought, an idea around that phrase, around that word, that idea, build, build this idea, formulate this idea, and then build a case around it. How, how can I best drive this home from scripture? How can I best drive home this, this topical idea? And, and textuals, I would do it probably pretty similar, except in a textual sermon, um, if I'm going to preach the idea of the text and what the author is, is trying to communicate, I'm going to first, as, after I've read the text and study the text and kind of understand what's going on in the text. I'm going to determine what, what I've called, and, and, and I get this from uh, a man named Don Sanukian. Um, he's got a book called An Invitation to Biblical Preaching, which I recommend. I think it's a great book. Um, and he likes to refer to that main idea of the sermon as the take-home truth. And I, I've just I've taken to that. I like that because that that just kind of determined this is what I want the people to take home. So I'm going to determine that take-home truth. What's this idea that I'm going to try to drive home that I feel that text actually helps drive home? And then once I determine that take-home truth, that sermon idea, then I'm going to really kind of let Scripture determine the flow in some ways. Um, I'm going to communicate how it, show how it communicates that idea. Um, so 
in, in a topical sermon, I'm going to formulate the argument and then build my case by pulling scriptures from all over scripture to kind of build the case on that, that idea. The textual sermon, I'm going to stick with that text mostly and first determine my take-home truth and then let, let scripture really kind of determine the flow of the sermon. So that's kind of basic. We could probably dig mine down deeper into that, but that's kind of a basic idea. How do you, how do you determine, Brother Jones, when you, when you set out to structure a sermon, where do you, where do you begin? And yeah, um, very similar. Um, my language, my, um, nomenclature may be a bit different. I probably go back a little further than you. And so what you call a take home truth, mm-hmm. Uh, I would, I usually, uh, when I'm teaching or even thinking about it, I call it a purpose statement. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a thesis statement. It's what I'm going to preach. And, um, you know, once you, doesn't matter if it's expository, textual, right. or, or topical, um, you have to have a very clear idea of what you're preaching, what you want to say. One reason I call it a purpose statement is what's your purpose in this? What do you, one, uh, want them to know? And two, what do you want them to do about it? And I often say that a fuzzy purpose statement results in a fuzzy sermon. Mm -hmm. Um, We've all been reading, all of us have experienced it, and suddenly recognize you don't know what you've read for the last three or four pages. <laughs> right. You're not paying attention, although you're going through the process. And, of course, what you do about that is you back up and you start reading those again. The problem with verbal communication, with preaching, you can't back right. up. And if they zone out, um, they might try to zone back in, but never really connect. And that... That that means we have to be razor sharp in where we're going in that sermon so that people can be distracted. And yet when they come back in, they can recognize from our opening mm. that we're still on that path and they can reconnect. So it's so important. Uh, one example that I thought of just this morning is What if you're going to preach from Acts 26, Mm -hmm. Paul's defense before Agrippa and Festus? And in verse 25, uh, uh, in 24, Festus has accused him of being crazy. Right. The the King James word is mad, but it means crazy. And uh, Paul's answer is, I am not crazy. (laughs) So what if that strikes you and you want to preach... I'm not crazy. Mm-hmm. And um, that's a great idea. It I is. thought I might preach that one day. <laughs> but as I was thinking about it, it struck me, what am I going to say about that? I have to have a very clear idea of what I'm trying to communicate beside the fact I don't think I'm crazy. Mm-hmm. That's not enough. So by writing, I tell students, you get one sentence. When you've been preaching 25 years, you can have two sentences. But <laughs> at least in the beginning, you have to be able to put what you're going to say into one 
sentence. You call it the take-home truth. Mm -hmm. I call it the purpose statement. It's the same idea. And uh, for that, it might be my purpose is to show that serving God is the most logical, clear-minded decision a person could make. And then I know what my case is. Right. Uh, you, you mentioned formulate the argument. That's my argument. And then as I build my sermon, I keep reconnecting with that take-home truth or mm -hmm. that purpose statement and be sure I am following that argument, that I've not gone off on a tangent, that I'm not bringing in information, data, illustrations, mm -hmm. other scriptures, scripture stories that don't quite... Uh, propel that yeah. idea forward. So to me, this first step in sermon preparation is deciding what to preach. But the second step definitely is formulating exactly what you want to say because that guides you. Now, in expository preaching, textual preaching, um, you do have a track to run on. Mm -hmm. And it's not quite as important that that you have a one sentence take home or purpose statement because you're going to follow the logic that that passage of scripture um, puts forth. And the only problem with that is sometimes Paul's mind works differently <laughs> than most of our minds. And uh, he was a towering genius and... Um, he moves through a logical argument in, in almost a unique way sometimes. So our challenge there is to be certain where he's going so that we can know where we're going and to follow that. Now, narrative uh, expository preaching, the narrative, you don't have to follow it exactly chronologically. You can always forget to say something and then come back later and bring it back into the story. That's an old technique that probably we've all used. But the, the main idea is to begin a sermon, make sure you know exactly mm. what you're going to say, what, what your purpose or your logic or what do you want them to know and to do at the end of that sermon. So to me, that's the beginning of every sermon, regardless of its uh, genre. And I think that's so important because we can so easily get off track. I mean, there's the study that, that really should be put into every sermon. Uh, when, you, when you're studying the text, when you're studying what's really happening, when you're studying the intended audience, you're studying the purpose of the, of the, the writer, you can uncover so many, so many nuggets, things. so many wonderful things. And and sometimes it's like what's going to end up on the cutting floor that you, you can't because if you try to include everything, you're you're not going to stay on topic. And so I think that's I agree with you that having that take home truth, that purpose statement that almost I mean, put it on the screen in front of you, write it down, keep it keep it in front of you while you're developing that sermon, because once you get to it, man, I'd love to share this. But okay, does it does it help me? And which I which I like using Haddon Robinson um, when he uses the term the the the, the big idea. Big idea. Yeah. And he talks about every every idea has to have a subject and a complement. And the complement, the C O M P L E, 
and that word complement meaning that it is that which completes a thing. And so I, I love that idea, especially when you get to building your main points. And sometimes we can get we can get a little confused. Well, I thought every sermon has one main point. I believe every sermon should have one main point, but I think it ought to have several compliments yes. that complete that. And so I try to tell my students, you know, every every one of your compliments, every one of your main points in the body of the sermon, make sure they are complementing that that take-home truth. Make sure it's, it's helping further drive home and solidify and complete that argument. If not, save it, save it for another sermon. Exactly. Um, build, build a series, I guess. Exactly. Uh, so I think that's, that's very important. Uh, so I appreciate that. The, I want to look then every sermon, I think every sermon or most every sermon should have very similar elements. Yes. Maybe the way they're structured and, the way where you bring them in uh, might vary from sermon to sermon. But if we could just talk just a little bit here about some of these most important elements and, and I've heard, I've heard people say, well, you can break it down as simply as you have an introduction or as you call it, what was your term? Opening. Uh, opening. You're opening your body and you're closing or your introduction, your body and conclusion. Right. And that's, that's in its most simplest terms. Um, but then there are there are others. But let's talk about maybe the purpose of some of these and why 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 these are important and why should every sermon have these? Why should every sermon have an introduction? I mean, I think part of it is um, just as you're writing a if you're writing a paper, you're reading a book. The purpose of an introduction is to introduce a thing, setting setting the scene, setting the stage. Um, the audience needs an introduction. The audience needs to be eased into this idea instead of just jumping straight into, um, into the, the, the meat of the message. Right. So what's your thoughts about, and maybe how you, how you build introductions? Well, um, let me back up just a moment. Um, I fully agree. Every sermon has three parts, really regardless of, uh, the genre of the sermon. I think it helps me to keep it clearly in my mind that every sermon is a journey. Mm. Um, one way I, I talk about it is, is at the beginning of the sermon, you're at the bus terminal. You're only at a bus terminal because you're going somewhere. Mm. Well, every sermon is the trip and your first you, the first important thing is you got to get them on the bus. Yeah. <laughs> if you don't get them on the bus, they'll never get to the destination. Mm. And so the the introduction, or uh, I usually call it an opening, mm -hmm. um, because it's a little broader sometimes than just introducing your thought. It's opening the the door of the bus. It's 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 announcing all aboard, we're going to mm -hmm. X, Y, Z. Uh, it's collecting the tickets. Um, and, and so that opening is crucial. Mm. Um, teaching beginning preachers, young preachers, um, inexperienced preachers, I emphasize the opening. I have good friends who work harder on openings 
than on any part of the sermon. Um, in fact, one of the great preachers of Pentecost, Anthony Mangan, is very careful with his openings. Now, he's also a genius with closing, uh, but his openings are, are totally structured. He knows exactly what he's going to say. In fact, if you watch him closely, he often reads whole portions of his opening because he's quite obviously learned if you don't get them in the beginning, you don't get them at all. Yeah. If you yeah. don't get them on the bus, they're not going to take the trip with you. So um, even way back, let's go way <laughs> back, Cicero, Roman's uh, senator, one of the greatest, considered one of the greatest orators of all time, wrote a book on oratory. And he deals uh, with openings, introductions, and no one's ever really improved on what he says. He says there's three purposes, three reasons, uh, three functions of an opening. One is to arouse interest. Now, that's pretty obvious. Mm -hmm. If you don't get people interested in what you're saying, they won't get on the bus. Um, Roger Isles, um, uh, founder of Fox News, regardless of how his career ended, he was a very influential man. He wrote a book called You Are the Message. And in this book, it always interests me. He says you have seven seconds to get people's attention. When you meet someone standing in the, he didn't say this, but I do, standing in the lobby at General Conference or <laughs> in the, in the uh, exhibit area, watch people's eyes as you're talking to them. If they're looking over your shoulder, seeing if there's someone more important they can talk to, <laughs> Yep. Uh, you haven't got their attention. And so he says we have seven seconds. I think a Pentecostal congregation is going to give you more than seven seconds because they came there to hear good preaching and, and they're rooting for you. But you don't have long. Hmm. So your first goal is to arouse interest. Then he says the second purpose is to um, secure favor. You want a connection with the crowd. Um, you do this simply by showing appreciation for the opportunity to preach, showing respect if you're not the pastor, showing respect for the pastor trusting you. This, this builds a rapport. Um, the very fact that almost every sermon we preach begins with the reading of the Bible. Mm -hmm. We read our text. There's a very strong psychological reason for that. It telegraphs people I'm going to preach the Bible, right. and that's what they—that's what they want. And so we read our text to ground our comments in the Word of God, and that too secures favor. That you're not just going to get up there and give your political opinions or tell funny stories. You're actually going mm -hmm. to preach the Word of God. And then finally, uh, Cicero says uh, an introduction, a, a, a opening's purpose is to prepare to lead. Hmm. In other words, you're getting in the bus. You're turning the key. You're cranking the thing up. You're sitting in the driver's seat. You're preparing to take them on this journey. And all of this has to happen in your opening, whether it's uh, a 10-minute opening with a dramatic illustration of someone climbing a mountain face, or whether it's simply an exposition of your scripture setting the context and giving the background story, it all has to start moving in the direction 
that that sermon's going to go. So I think we have to approach the opening of a sermon as one of the most critical parts of it. If you get that right, mm -hmm. you're way down the road toward bringing people to that moment of emotional response to the Spirit of God and that, that decision to do something. Yeah. And that's where we're going. Do you have a favorite type of opening that you use? Do you, do you have a go-to or a, is your mind always go to, okay, I got to find a story for this or does, I'm sure it varies, but do you have a. Well, in a way, um, I think the sermon itself, I think what you're preaching, like in Paul's, uh, that example, I just top of my head, I haven't really thought it through. I'm not crazy. Mm -hmm. I think that dictates an opening. Sure. You have to tell the story. You have to set the scene. Why is Paul declaring that he's not crazy? So that kind of sets it. It's going to be a, it's going to be a contextual opening. It's going to be explaining how we got this statement in the scripture. On the other hand, I do like opening with dramatic incidents from mm -hmm. history or from my own life or something that uh, demands attention. Um, I think, however, the bottom line to it is you have to be addressing something that people care about. You have to open with something that people find interesting. Yeah. It, and you have to step back and ask yourself, does anybody care? I mean, is, does this matter to anybody? Is this an issue or a story that people are going to see themselves in. A defense of Christianity, if you do it right, you can make Paul every man. Hmm. You can make Paul the stand-in for every time we've had to give an answer for our faith. Every time we got a question or a challenge, why do you all worship like you do? Why do you believe there's only one God? Mm -hmm. Well, that's you can frame Paul's defense in a way that people relate and they want to say, I, I, I've been there. I, I've had to deal with that. So regardless of your, of your sermon, where you're going, you have to start with something that will capture their attention. And um, that's not easy to do. Mm -hmm. And sometimes you may think, have to think harder about how to frame this in an interesting drama, even humor can capture people's attention. And that's the number one thing for any good introduction. Show them you've got something to say by saying something that they relate to. And of course, then we go from that, uh, that opening, the introduction into the body, but I, I kind of want to, interject this, get your thoughts on this, because I think one overlooked piece that really goes between the, the opening and the body and fits throughout the message are transitions yes. and how we transition. Um, I, I've, I see, you know, new preachers and working with, working with students and, and I constantly trying to point out the importance of planning out that transition. So it's not just, um, you, you 
open the sermon and then you just jump straight into it. And, as I, and I love, cause I love your example of the, of the, the bus ride here. I, I seem to use a lot of metaphors when it comes of driving, when you're doing a sermon. So I, I love that. And I'm, uh, and I, I like in these transitions to approaching stop signs or yield signs. And, you know, if you're riding in the back seat, not really paying attention, then all of a sudden somebody just takes this hard right turn and you're onto a different road and you're like, what just happened? Your head's hitting the side of the car and um, that's a horrible transition. Yes. You got to transition to slow down, turn that blinker on, let people know we're moving on to a new point um, and give them a chance to slow, to, you know, think about what was just said, but we're transitioning to a new thing. So this idea of, of transitions, planning out how you're how you're going to introduce the next the next thought. What, what's your do you have any any thoughts on transitions? Yeah, uh, of course we all we all recognize the need for those transitions. Sometimes, particularly when you're preaching a, a narrative sermon, your whole sermon is a Bible story. Mm. You're talking about what happens next. That makes the transitions a little easier sure. because people, if it's a well-known story, they know what's next. So you can take that turn pretty quick. Mm -hmm. And uh, the real challenge is when it there's no narrative. You're not telling a story. You're building a theological argument, so to speak, or you're building an emotional uh, response. So again, it's a matter of recognizing the need. Let's go back to the bus again. Mm -hmm. It may not be just turning at a stop sign or a red light. Oftentimes on a bus trip, there's stops. People get off, people get on. Now, you don't want them getting off, but getting on is <laughs> okay. But you announce the bus driver isn't just going to pull into, you know, or pull over the side of the road where there's a bus stop. He's going to announce that stop and he's going to make sure you're aware of why, where we're, what this is about. And mm. so most people, if they're going all the way to the end, well, they know there's going to be changes of, of, uh, tempo changes of, of ideas, points. Uh, but because you're announcing it, they take it in stride. There's nothing alarming or, they don't get distracted by it. And that is in how you wrap up a point and how you understand the logical progression of your points where, where that fit. Okay. Where does my, that's my introduction. Where does point one fit point two fit? And if I understand the flow, then it's easy as I build it, the transitions almost come naturally. You see where point two is a logical connection to point one, mm -hmm. and that transition, the wording you use, uh, you end here. Paul has been in prison for two years, and now his day has come, and he stands before King Agrippa and Festus and begins. And then when you talk about his first part of the story of his persecution of the church and then meeting Jesus Christ and his response to that. Well, that sets up the next point. And that's what he's done since his conversion, preaching the gospel and what he's seen. So that 
transition comes natural. Mm -hmm. And the more natural your transitions are, the more effective, the better. You don't lose anybody in that. You, you are making points and points have to have, you have to understand their emotional impact. And a point will have an emotional impact, but you still have to get out of that and into the next point. And the close, the more you understand how you're doing that, why you're doing that, where that next point connects, then the easier it is uh, to build transitions. Sometimes they're as simple as when Paul finished talking about his conversion, then he began talking about his ministry. And that leaves mm. one point, sets mm -hmm. up the other. Sometimes they have to be a little more uh, complex than that. And, and that's where a study of how, when you hear a preacher, pay attention to how he transitions. And um, we learn uh, from both writers and preachers how transitions work and how they don't work. Mm -hmm. Thank you for listening to the Urshan Pulpit Podcast. We also want to invite you to our Urshan Pulpit Conference taking place March 13, 14, and 15, 2024 in Wentzville, Missouri at the Urshan Campus. And our evening services will be held in Hazelwood, Missouri at the Sanctuary. Register today at urshancollege.org and we hope to see you there.